Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everyone. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asif. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their body are healthy, strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused heart comes inequity. The evil conceit of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have portrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, till I understand our final destiny. Surely you made, surely you placed them on slippery ground and cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when, I, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my freedom forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell you all your deeds. Uh, pray for Maffey as he comes to teach us on Psalm 73. Uh, Heavenly Father, bless Maffey and um, may your word give us contentment and peace in our hearts. And bless Maffey as he speaks today. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pat. Good afternoon, church. We are about to kick off a brand new six-week series in the Psalms. 
And uh, if you fall asleep today in the service, you can be forgiven for this heat. It is incredible. I absolutely love this. So we're, we're in the Psalms today. We're six weeks in the Psalms throughout the summer. And the, the, big, the big theme across this summer is finding contentment in God. And so we're going to be looking about finding contentment through these different Psalms and how the Psalmists actually relate to God and, and the journey they go on as they seek God together. And so we're going to be opening with Psalm 73. And so it's written by a guy called Asaph. And the other five Psalms that we're going to be exploring are written by these guys called the Sons of Korah. And so both groups were temple singers. Uh, they led temple choirs. They were helping God's people to find contentment in God through prayer and song. And so I'm going to help you and I'm going to help myself find contentment in God through a talk and through listening. I, I can't sing too well. So we will leave these guys to help, uh, to help find contentment in God through prayer and song. But I'll do it just through, uh, through talking and we're going to have a bit of a discourse. So the Psalms, the Psalms document really is the strange and the, the often frustrating moments in our journey and our journey toward contentment. But yet each psalm will come with a discovery and we're going, to, we're, going to see a, we're going to see a question. We're going to see a frustration. We're going to find a discovery. Um, and what's, what's interesting about the psalms is that the psalms are the word of God, but whenever you open up the psalms, it looks like, uh, it looks like you've got people that are actually talking to God rather than God talking to people. So the psalms are different to the rest of the books in the Bible. And ultimately, these are words spoken to God but they are inspired by God for us. And so these are words that we can use and we can say with the psalmist, we can do the very same. We can, we can take these words and we can give them to God. And we're going to find words here and we think, man, I, I don't know if I would give them words to God. I don't know if I would say that before God. But we're going to see in the psalmist's search for contentment, the raw honesty and his, and his vulnerability. And so what we find today is that our contentment in God our contentment in God is shaped by our perspective of God. So contentment is linked to perspective. And so as we journey through Psalm 73 with Asaph, we're, we're going to confess with him why we lack contentment. And similarly, we're going to discover how we find contentment. So why we lack contentment and how we find contentment. So we kick off with verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. If, if you don't have a Bible on you, I'd encourage you to turn it on or stick your hands up and Sharon will get you on. We're going to be in, in Psalm 73 a lot today. So surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is a key verse. The, the, this verse kind of stands alone to the rest of the psalm because in this verse it portrays not what God can do for us, but rather who God can be for us. So I want you to remember that. It portrays not what God can do for us, which is so often what we're doing when we come to in prayer, God, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Rather, it is what God can be or who God can be for us. And so it's this truth that Asaph begins to confess he's forgotten about. The first half of the psalm develops from 1 to 12. Asaph has forgotten about it. He's saying, my feet have nearly slipped. And this is what I love about the psalms, about Asaph's language. He's been raw. He's refreshing. There's this refreshing honesty. He's holding absolutely nothing back from God. If you look at, look at verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. Why, 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 why was that? Well, look at verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. Asaph had lost his contentment. His feet had almost slipped. He's saying, do you know how tempted I've been? I know God. I know his promises. I've experienced his goodness. 
But yet I began to envy the wicked. I began to, to look at my own lack of material possessions. I began to look at my own lack. I began to look at my troubles. I began to look at everything that I didn't have and compared it with everything that everyone else did have. And I began to compare myself with the rich and the powerful. And I thought, well, I want what they have. Why do we lack contentment? Well, we, we begin to look around. Like Asaph, we begin to look around. As Asaph began to look around, it's a little green monster of envy that began to build up. He wanted what the wicked had. Asaph's focus came to rest on the prosperity of the wicked, on the ill-gotten gains, and, and they looked around. And, and as he looked around, it didn't really matter whether he was in a temple choir. It didn't really matter if he was a worshiper of God. All he wanted in this moment was what they had. It didn't matter his position. It didn't matter, matter his prestige. It didn't matter his name. It didn't even matter that he was a follower of God. All he wanted in this moment was what the wicked had. You know, he's not only envious of the wicked, but he's also bitter. He's bitter towards them as he's crying out to God. And he's crying out to God in verse 4 and 5, and he's saying they've got no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. In, in one of the other versions, it's saying their bodies are fat. And, and, and in other words, what he's saying is they're well fed. They've got everything that they need. They lack nothing. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. And he goes on to say they're full of pride. They're full of violence. But the wicked seem to be prosperous, and they seem to be really happy. They've lived without trouble. They've, and it seems that they're, they're living without trouble, but they're also dying without divine disapproval. God, I'm not seeing you step in here. God, I'm not seeing you step in and, and, and say what these guys are doing are wrong. It, it, seems that I'm living, it seems that I'm living the right way, and these guys aren't, but they're getting away with it. And they've got away with it. The wicked have lived their lives, have enjoyed it to the full. Because on to say in verses 9, that they've set their mouths against heaven, that they're proud and speaking ill against God. All the while, it seems that God has not taken any notice of the wicked. And this is Asaph's complaint. Asaph's looked around, and as he looks around, he is envious and he's bitter. And Asaph is saying that as he looks around, it's not fair. Life is not fair. And this is his confession. He is not content. There's an absolute lack of contentedness. Why can't he have what the wicked has? Why couldn't he trade places with them? That's all he wants in the moment. He just he wants to trade places. And surely he'd be satisfied then. If Asaph traded places with the wicked, he would be satisfied. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's saying. And isn't that the reality for many of us? Life isn't fair. The system is built against us. The cost of living in the city seems insurmountable. Paying our rent in cash so that the landlord can avoid declaring it as income. He or she is, is benefiting from that, but I, I, I seem to be stuck in a rut going round circle after circle. Seems that the wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer and the gap is ever widening and I don't see any way out of it. Why can't I just trade places? I want what they have. I want to be content. If I had what they had, then I'd be absolutely fine. God, is it, is it too much to ask for? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, is it too much to ask for? I know I have. God, I want this. And I pray that prayer because all I can see in that moment is the very thing that I want, is the very thing that I treasure. And so full of envy and full of bitterness, 
Asaph looks around him and, and he begins to look around him and he sees these things, but then he begins to look within. So why do we lack contentment? Well, we look around. We lack contentment as well when we begin to look in. And as he looks in, he finds nothing but doubt. Oh, despair and self-pity. Doubt and despair. Despair and self-pity. And despair, is saying in verse 13, surely I kept my heart pure. Surely all that was in vain. Look at this, God. The, the wicked are prospering. They're doing well. Why is all this happening? And I'm the one that's, that, 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 that's been good. I'm the one that's been holy. I'm the one that's been godly. Surely all of this is in vain. And it begins to have self-pity. He says, I'm the one that's done it right. I'm the one that's followed you. I've stayed the course. And here are the guys, and they've done what they've pleased, and they prosper. I thought it was the righteous that prospered, not the wicked. God, surely all of this is for nothing. Surely leading a holy life has been absolutely pointless. All in vain. And he goes on and says, all day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. There's a sense of self-pity. I'm the one that's been afflicted. I'm the one that's been punished. I've been plagued. I've struggled and I've toiled. God, I'm the one that's actually chosen the narrow road and suffered. And there seems to be no advantage. My desire to have clean hands and a pure heart before you, it seems to be all in vain. God, I turn up to church. I, even, I give you some of my money every month. Despite the cost of living, I haven't cancelled on you yet. I haven't cancelled that. But yet I'm still struggling. It seems hardly worth it. The world is enjoying sex all around me, but yet I'm reserving sex for marriage. Even other unmarried Christians are engaging in sexual activity around me. And yet, I'm feeling the burden of holding out. How is this fair, God? I deserve better. Why do we lack contentment? Well, we lack contentment when we begin to look within. And when we begin to look within, we see despair. We begin to see self-pity. And you know, as Asaph wrestles with God, as, as Asaph has it out with God in these raw moments, Asaph confesses that, that if he'd voiced these concerns to others, in verse 15, he would have led them astray. What, what he's saying is, God, if I'd have went to, with all these complaints to other people instead of to you, all that would have done is led them away from you. And there's something incredible here, something really, really mature about this. Asaph brings these complaints before God rather than bringing them before other people first. And he says, it troubled him deeply, it troubled me deeply. But yet he still chooses to have it out before God. I wonder what it's like for you in these moments when you struggle, in these moments when you begin to look around and have envy or bitterness, or in these moments when you begin to look within and have despair or, or a sense of self-pity. What do you do? Do you run to somebody and, and do, you, do you offload on them? Who's the first person you go to? It seems the first person that Asaph has went to is actually God. And I want to tell you, this is actually a sign. This psalm is a sign of maturity and it's a sign of faithfulness. And you might be saying, Matthew, this is anything but a sense of strength, maturity, or faithfulness. But, but look, look what he's doing. In the place of his deepest discontentment, Asaph before, comes before God first and foremost. He doesn't run off and mouth it on Facebook. He doesn't run off and mouth it to other people. He doesn't run off and, 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 and give this pity party to his friends and to his family. He doesn't go off and, and get into little circles of people who think like him and who complain like him. He doesn't run off into little circles of people who he knows it's going to affirm him and make him feel that little bit better. He brings it straight before God first and foremost. 
And I want to tell you, if Asaph does not bring it before God, then that envy, that bitterness, as he begins to look around and as he begins to look inside, is going to fester, it's going to take root, and it's going to poison everyone around him and everything about his life. Why do we lack contentment? Well, we lack contentment because we look around and it's not good enough. We don't have what other people has. And we look within and we realize there's an emptiness, there's a brokenness, and there's something that is missing. And you know, in the moment of Asaph's deepest discontentment and in the moment of Asaph's most candid confession, there's this incredible discovery that he wants to share. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. And he's saying, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. This is basically the middle of the psalm. It is one of the keys of the psalm. It is a pivot. It is a complete turning point. To this moment, it has been a pity party. When he tried to understand all of this, it troubled him deeply until he entered the sanctuary of God. Then he understood their final destiny, the sanctuary of God. We could say the sanctuary of God is his word. We could say the sanctuary of God is his gathered people. We could say the sanctuary of God is God's presence that is always with us. When Asaph came before God, he then understood their final destiny. It's a total transformation of Asaph's outlook. Had he done much heart searching before? Yeah, he had. And there's a whole lot more to come. But there's this incredible until moment. And I wonder if you ever had an until moment. It's been desperation. It's been despair. It's been pity. Until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. You notice Asaph still doesn't have any answers to his questions. But there's been a shift of attention. There's been a shift away from self-interest. And there's been a shift away from self-pity. And his shift... His eyes have now shifted onto God. He has fixated upon God. And so this is Asaph's greatest discovery. Where do we find contentment? Well, it's not by looking around at envy and bitterness. It's not by looking in where we find despair and self-pity, but it's by looking up. And as we look up, we gain the right perspective. And so against the backdrop of eternity, against the backdrop of God's sovereignty, Asaph gains perspective. What brings Asaph contentment and a deep sense of joy? Well, I'll tell you this, it's not his circumstances because his circumstances has not changed. What has he done? He's looked up. He's come into the presence of God. He's gone into God's sanctuary. He has sought his presence and in his presence he has found all he needs. Every unmet desire, every frustration, every broken dream there finds its rightful place and its deepest fulfillment in the presence of God. Notice all these things are, are not corrected. All these things are still there, but they all find their place in the presence of God. Church, our contentment in God is shaped by our perspective of God. We are most content in God when we have got our eyes fixated on God. All these material longings, all these, all these things that he'd been fixated upon are utterly worthless in the light of eternity. They're going to come to nothing and they end up they cannot and they will not prevent death and decay. And Asaph realizes that God was holding him even when he nearly slipped. Look back at verse 3. He, his foothold nearly slipped. But God was holding him, verse 3. But look, look, what, look what Asaph is saying about the wicked and the arrogant in verses 18 and 19. See, there's a contrast here. 
Verse 3, his foot nearly slipped. Look at 18 and 19. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by your terrors. It's nearly as if Asaph has been seeing in black and white all these years. And suddenly Asaph can now see in color. He was so full of envy and bitterness as he looked around. But the presence of God has shaped his perspective on how he views others, but also on how he views himself. So the presence of God hasn't just shaped how he views others, but the presence of God is shaping how he is viewing himself. Look what he describes himself as in 21 and 22. His heart was grieved, spurred and bittered, senseless and ignorant, a brute beast. He now sees what he was like beforehand. You know, this discovery shaped how he views others. It shapes how he views himself. And this discovery is going to shape his posture toward God. You know, the right perspective leads to a better posture. It leads to a far better posture. Look at how he declares his confidence in God. This is, it's nearly as if this is a different man. All the way from birth to death, God has him in the grip of his hand. Look at verses 23 and 24. Asaph is secure. Asaph is contentment. Our contentment in God is shaped by our perspective of God. The presence of God gives us a sense of perspective that encourages us to maintain a secure posture of faithfulness and honesty. And it's this posture of faithfulness and honesty that always chooses a path that honors God. And so today, if you're, if you're wondering why others seem to do better than you by cutting corners, I want to tell you, instead of hosting an embittered spirit and a grieved heart, come before God. And as you come before God within moments of raw, open, honest unloading, your heart will ascend upwards and it will begin to declare with Asaph in verse 25, whom I have I in heaven but you, and earth is nothing I desire beside you. This is the goal of our salvation here on earth. This is the goal of our salvation here on earth where we are so contented, we're in a place, no matter what the circumstances are, where we would say, whom have I in heaven but you, God? Earth is absolutely nothing I desire beside you. And so as we shift our gaze onto God, all our desires are going to find their rightful place. Some of them desires we're going to let go of completely. Others we're going to begin to care less for and we're going to open up our hands to but one thing is for sure is we will not be mastered by our desires, nor will our joy be robbed by them. And so for many of us, we, we allow our contentment, we allow our joy to be robbed daily, not by what we see around us, but by how we see these things around us. And so as we begin to look through the lens of envy, our hearts are going to say, I want, I need, I can't do without and as we look through the lens of despair, our hearts are going to begin to say, well, there's no hope. There's absolutely no way out. I'm going round in circles. This is it. But church, through the lens of faith, we look first at God and we say, with Augustine, one of the church fathers, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And we could say our hearts are, are lacking contentment until they find contentedness in you. And so when we begin to trust God that he is good and that he is just, we're going to begin to relinquish our, our need to control the environment around us, instead surrendering these things to his will. And so like Job, 
And like Asaph here, we might not get the answer to the question we're asking. Rather, we, we might find that through the right perspective and a better posture, our question instead is reformed. Instead of why do the wicked prosper, maybe the reformed question is, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. And so we can begin to declare this because we believe that this contentedness by looking up is secured by an eternal promise. It's secured by an eternal promise. In verse 17, verse 17, it says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. These words in Hebrew used for till I entered sanctuary of God, then I, then I understood their final destiny is the very same language it's used in 24, where Asaph is saying that he will be taken into glory. There's a contrast here. The two words are the same, but there's a stark contrast. There's one group who puts their trust in material things and all that the world has to offer. And then there's this other group that puts their trust in God. It's the exact same word in Hebrew, but it has two completely different outcomes. And so while God holds in his grip Asaph from birth to death, there is a far greater hope that secures Asaph's contentment. And it is the promise of life after death, that the best is yet to come, that this is not the best for him. And I want to tell you that there is one true source of contentment, and that is in Jesus. And so one day God would step into human history, and God through Jesus would prove himself faithful. God would send his son Jesus to secure an eternal destiny for all who would receive him. You know, Jesus would be put to death by the wicked. And interestingly, Jesus was actually put to death by the religious folk. Jesus was rejected by those who looked around, those who were envious, those who were bitter. Jesus was put to death by the religious folk. The religious folk did not want their status quo to be shaken up. They thought that God was one and that Jesus was a blasphemer. Jesus was put to death by those who were envious and bitter. Jesus was rejected by those who looked within, those who had despaired, and those who were full of self-pity. Jesus knows what it, is, what it is like to be put to death by these people. But you know, Jesus was accepted by the one to whom he looked. The wicked, the religious folk, did not look up. They looked around and they looked within, but they didn't look up. Instead, they put the Son of God to death on the cross. And you know, it would be wonderful to say that we're like Jesus, we're the one that look, ones that looks up. The reality is for you and I, we are the ones that look around and look within. We are the ones that had put, the, put Jesus to death. But there is hope because Jesus was the one who looked up. Jesus was the one who looked to God the Father. Jesus was the one that remained faithful. Jesus was the one who took the sin and the shame of the world upon himself to reconcile you and I to God to secure an eternal future, to secure an eternal hope in heaven for each of us who would receive him. So the psalm was penned out of despair uh, at the wicked prospering at the very start. So the wicked prospered and the godly people were wondering, why do they even bother? The psalm was penned out of the sense of uh, the wealth of the wicked looks so inviting that 
that the godly actually want to trade places. But yet these things come to a total unexpected end. The wealth of the wicked loses its power at death. But yet the rewards for the godly now take on an eternal significance. The rewards for the godly didn't seem all that great in the here and now, according to Asaph. But he has gained this new, fresh perspective that there is an eternal significance. And so what seems like wealth is now actually waste. And what seems worthless now actually lasts forever. It's an incredible paradox. And it is one that Asaph has found as he entered the presence of God. And so ultimately, Asaph's circumstances have not changed. We have got through the entire psalm. The circumstances still remain the same. The only difference is that he has began to look to God. His perspective and his posture has changed. And he has learned that his contentment in the here and now is found not by looking around and not by looking within, but by looking up. And you know, Paul done the very same as Ola, read out in, in, in the call to worship. He has known what it is to be in need and he has known plenty. He has found content in this. And what has he said? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul didn't get supernatural muscle. Rather, Paul got a resilience and he got a stickability that no matter the circumstances, contentedness did not waver. No matter Paul's circumstance, no matter the lot that he had, he was content. He had learned that his contentedness was not shaped by and not defined by his circumstances. So the psalmist's circumstances hasn't changed. The psalmist has been honest before God from the very worst to the very best. And may the psalmist's declaration be the same as ours today. I, I just want to invite the band back up. The psalmist said, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. May that be our prayer today. My flesh and my heart may fail. Church, we're going to have these moments where our flesh and our heart fails, where we are in despair and we are doubting and where there is self-pity that is tempted to creep in. And as that happens, may we pray with the psalmist and say, God, you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever. That success in this world will not define me. But neither will failure in this world flatten me. God, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. And so the psalmist came to the sanctuary and they sought God together. And so we're going to do the same. The sanctuary of God is a dwelling place of God. And for you who follow Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, God dwells in you. God is dwelling in this place today. And so we're going to come before God. And we're sitting in his presence right now. And again, we're declaring, God, those who are far from you will perish. And you in the end up are going to destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And verse 28 and verse 1 are so similar. But as for me, it is good to be near God. And we say this together. We declare it as Christ of the church. As for me, it is good to be near God. Why? Because I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. You know, God has brought Asaph on a journey. The psalm has culminated. The discovery is this. Our contentment in God is shaped by our perspective of God. Will you stand with me as I pray and as we sing? God, I thank you for your words. And I thank you that these words that were penned 
oh, a thousand odd years before your son came, and perhaps even 1,100 years before the likes of Paul and James were writing these letters. And Paul knew that his, his contentedness, contentedness was wrapped up in you, Jesus. And James even wrote, and James, a half-brother of you, Jesus, even wrote and said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it is finished, will bring about a maturity and a completeness. And so, Jesus, I pray that we at Christ City Church may be a people who are not defined by our circumstances, but are people who are defined by your presence. And I pray that your presence would transform and would shape our posture, that we would be a people who look up, that despite our circumstances, and that even if our circumstances does not change, we would be a people who are content, a people who are full of joy, a people who can worship you, and a people who the people of Dublin would, would look at and, and say, how, how can you be so content? How can you be so full of joy? And we can say, God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. And all God's people said, Amen.